What I saw in my clinic was a profound response. People were actually getting much better, much more quickly. And we were able to tap into therapeutic growth in a way that patients were less guarded, more open, more flexibly minded. And when I saw that in clinic, I thought, how can we advance this, make it more scalable, make it more affordable? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know we're determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Mental health issues is on the rise, and we've been talking about that quite a bit on the podcast. And anxiety in particular is the number one mental health disorder, and it's dominant in women. So this is an appropriate guest and an appropriate topic. I want to introduce you guys to Dr. Sam Zand. He's a practicing psychiatrist and the chief medical officer and founder of Better You and applies his expertise in neuroplasticity to assist patients in addressing the underlying causes of their issues and cultivating new thought patterns. After conducting initial research on psychedelic medicine at Johns Hopkins University, Dr. Zand began clinically treating patients with ketamine in 2019. He currently educates psychiatry residents and medical students through psychedelic medicine rotations and serves as an advocate and spokesperson for FDA-approved ketamine Spravato. Welcome to the show. He's got so many more great accomplishments, but I really want to use our time to get into this topic because I know how much anxiety and depression is out there. I have patients of my own that come through our practices that are treatment resistant, or maybe they're not treatment resistant, but the side effects are so extreme that the medication, there's a cost benefit issue with many of our conventional psychiatric medications. So super curious how you got into this and then lots of questions about psychedelic medicine for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. And I really do think this is such an important topic that affects all of us, you know, not just a select few who are going through deep anxiety, deep depression. These are human experiences that we all go through. And so to be able to learn why we experience these things and how to improve that, I hope we can gather that from this conversation. Definitely. So you're a practicing psychiatrist. What got you interested in psychedelic medicine? And then to piggyback off that question too, you know, this idea of neuroplasticity that we can change our brain, how does psychedelic medicine play into that? Yeah. So I I like to say as a psychiatrist, I'm a little bit anti-psychiatry. I think uh, traditionally we overdiagnose, we overprescribe, and we miss some of the core contributing factors that really we need to pay more attention to when it comes to our mental and emotional well-being. Going through the academics and learning psychiatry and learning all the traditional methods, it was a little bit disenchanting because I think we hyper-focus on the chemical side of things. And there's so much more to our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being than just the chemical side. And so as I created my practice six, seven years ago, our focus was really on the holistic measures within mental health. And that's where we look at things from every perspective, biologically, psychologically, environmentally, and even spiritually. And when we go to traditional antidepressants and things like that, which still have, you know, their their value and their benefit, 
But if we only focus on that, I think we're missing the full picture. And so my practice was always holistic by nature. But then in 2019, medication called Spravato, a form of ketamine in a nasal spray, became FDA approved for treatment resistant depression. When this first came across, I learned about ketamine probably years prior because a patient came in to see me, said, I left my last psychiatrist. I said, why? And he said, he kept trying to give me ketamine. Mm. And I thought, this sounds negligent. Should we report this doctor, right? right. And it was, I didn't have the education understanding. But when it got FDA approved and as a community, a psychiatric community, we started to realize there's something different here. Instead of taking a pill every day, you come in once a week, you have more of an experience than a passive treatment. And what I understood of it, what I saw in my clinic was a profound response. People were actually getting much better, much more quickly. And we were able to tap into therapeutic growth in a way that patients were less guarded, more open, more flexibly minded. And when I saw that in clinic, I thought, how can we advance this, make it more scalable, make it more affordable, make sure that it's safe, convenient. The FDA approved version, you have to come to the office. There's a lot of you can't drive home, you have to have a ride. There's a lot of logistical hurdles to get through. So we created a program where we can actually see you virtually, especially in the time of COVID, that was important, and be able to give you the guidance, the insight, the safety measures, and, and the therapeutic compassionate support to then do the work on your own at home under mm-hmm. virtual care. And that's where Better You as a company came from. And, and so we started with ketamine therapy, and now we're really rolling out a lot of holistic measures. And this concept of neuroplasticity that you brought up, this is the key point that I think is so important. It's become trendy now that we're learning more about the neuroplasticity of the brain, which what that means is, if you remember the old adage, don't kill a brain cell, they don't grow back. Mm -hmm. We used to think the brain stopped developing in our early 20s. And that was science. That was 20, 30 years ago, what the scientific community thought. Recently, in the last 10 years or so, we started to really understand the brain continues to regenerate, continues to create new neural pathways. What that means is we can develop new thought patterns, we can develop new ways of being, but in many ways our brain is hardwired. And so it's an uphill battle. When you go to therapy and you're trying to see things from a new perspective, the hardwired belief system that we hold on to hinders that ability to see things more flexibly. And psychedelic medicine has taught us that we can have this neurological reset. We increase fertilization of new neurons. We create new pathways, new connections. And with that, we're able to accelerate the work that we traditionally do in therapy. And so it's become this kind of mental lubricant that makes us more flexible-minded, that makes us more open to new perspectives. And for many people who have been through rigid patterns of anxiety and depression, all of a sudden, they just feel refreshed. They feel brand new. They feel like they can see their lives from a perspective without that filter of deep anxiety and depression that's been getting in their way. Sometimes within the first or second treatment, they just notice that day and night shift. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time. But with this modality, it's just been such a breath of fresh air to have something a little bit more cutting edge and more effective than some of the other modalities we're used to. Hi, it's Dr. Taz here. All right, let's be real. We're going to be honest for a second. It's all about the hair, right? At least that's what I was told by my mother and my mother-in-law when I was losing my hair rapidly. Look, hair loss is real. It's an epidemic. So many women are suffering from it today, and it can knock out your self-esteem in about five seconds. I've been there getting dressed with the lights off, not wanting to go out, even when I was only in my 20s. Lush Locks is my formula in my product line, the East-West Way, 
which really addresses hair loss by merging together Eastern and Western medicine, true to the East-West way philosophy. In Lush Locks, there are methylated B vitamins, magnesium, iron, all of which has been shown to promote healthy hair. But the key is that this particular patented formula also contains the Ayurvedic herbs amla, which have been shown to help regrow hair, improve blood flow to the scalp, and the Chinese herb fo tea, which has been used for centuries in Chinese medicine for hair regeneration and hair regrowth. By putting all of these together with additional micronutrients, Lush Locks is the one supplement I can't live without. In fact, I would take it with me if I was stranded on an island. It works beautifully to help regenerate and regrow hair and prevent further hair loss. I encourage all of you to give Lush Locks a try. In fact, just this month, if you go to theeastwestway.com, type in the code SWW30, you'll get 30% off your purchase of Lush Locks. That includes the supplement along with the shampoo and conditioner that's also a part of my hair loss line. Look, hair loss is real. It impacts us all. It doesn't have to be that way. Try out Lush Locks, use your code. And don't forget, if you rate and review any episode of the podcast and email me at hello at drtaz.com, I'll send you a free bottle of Lush Locks or Boost. You get to choose. Just make sure you email me and we'll take it from there. So when you refer to treatment with psychedelic medicines, you're referring to Spravato primarily, right? Which is the inhaled ketamine. What about some of the other stuff we're seeing out there like mushroom therapy or CBD or like all these other things that are out there? Kind of like what is what is the toolbox in the world mm-hmm. of psychedelic medicine? Yeah, well, we started with Spravato as ketamine because it was FDA approved. And as physicians, we like to you know learn that this has clinical trials and efficacy. The next thing was that ketamine as a generic compound has been around for 50 years. So while there are some hurdles to get insurance approval, and like I said, you have to go to the office and you have to have a ride and all these things, generic ketamine can still be prescribed off-label. And the standard of care with the American Psychiatric Association and a lot of different groups has normalized generic ketamine for mental health issues like anxiety and depression as well. Mm -hmm. So while we start where it's legal and it's prescribable with ketamine, What we are going to see in the future is probably a combination of both an increase of FDA approvals for psilocybin, the magic mushroom compound, Mm -hmm. for MDMA, Mm -hmm. uh, it's in phase three clinical trials for PTSD, for derivatives of LSD. These are all in the pipelines that, you know, two, three, four, five years down the road, we might see more utilization of. On the other side, there's going to be some both recreational and therapeutic use that's not guided by a physician. Right now in Oregon and Colorado, you can actually go have a therapeutic intervention with psilocybin. It's not by a doctor. It's a government-approved program. And, you know, we teach some of these programs as well, but still federally illegal. And so there's some gray areas there that, you know, in certain states it works out. I think when we fast forward in the future, we're going to see a much more widely accepted view of a lot of these different tools in the psychedelic umbrella. I was going to say, I think it's already being used recreationally, but it's, <laughs> it's a side story. But I'm curious, like what your thoughts are, like MDMA, you know, LSD, what is it doing to the brain? What's happening there? Even the mushrooms, even psilocybin, right. what's happening exactly? Right. So the concept of neuroplasticity that I outlined is the key fundamental common denominator here, where they all have this ability to increase 
fertilization of new neurons, increase mm-hmm. new neural connections. Now they do it in different ways. And while ketamine, I, I like to say, is a very gentle introduction to psychedelic medicine because in low doses, it's quite meditative. It's a dissociative drug, which means you separate a little bit from your mind and body and the normal occurrence of things. And as you separate with the right guidance, you start to see things from another perspective. Mm-hmm. I like to say, you ever give a friend advice and it's so clear for us to see what our friend is going through and give them the proper advice. But for the friend, it's hard to receive it because they're stuck in their emotions, right? They're clouded by what they're going through. These drugs give you an ability to kind of see your life from a different perspective, an outer perspective, a more objective view. And then you can kind of be your own best friend. And and the Mm -hmm. insights become so obvious because all of that clutter and background emotional charge is just kind of dissolved in the moment. And then therapeutically, you can work through that afterwards. So there are some fundamental differences. Ketamine is much more short acting, meaning some people, the treatment is 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, hour and a half, two hours at most. Psilocybin as a therapeutic might take longer, three to five hours. Um, If we ever get there with actual psychedelic level derivatives of LSD, right? These are very long half-lives. They might last for six, seven, eight hours. It makes it difficult to have a therapeutic session while still possible. I think we're going to see formulations that cut that time down and allow you to really have a focused therapeutic session. So are nootropics are a part of the psychedelic medicine family or do, are they like the NMNs and the NADs yeah. and all that stuff? Are, are they a part yeah. of it as well? So the word psychedelic, it really talks about uh, expanding the mind, right? And then seeing things from an altered perception mm. that we can interact with our emotions in a safer way. What you alluded to in nootropics and brain health medications and drugs, these are perhaps improving neuroplasticity, perhaps improving neural connections, mm-hmm. but they're not causing a mind-altering mm-hmm. feeling. Gotcha. And so I think there's benefit in both. And people often, there's a debate about, do we need to have a mind-altering feeling or can it be sub-perceptual? I think there's benefit when it's sub-perceptual, certainly because we're still getting that neuroplastic reset, but there's also an enhanced benefit when we have this psychological experience of feeling a little altered, a little different. And we enhance that, we lean into that, and we encourage our patients to understand how they can approach that in a safe way and how they can learn from that experience. Fascinating. Why do you think, like, as you're even saying this, I mean, I would never be one to try a mind altering, you know, I'm just not like that. I've always wanted to be in control and I've control of my environment, control of my thoughts. You know, why is there more acceptance right now around this idea of having a mind altering experience? Is it tied to our inability to get answers from conventional treatments? Like, where do you think sort of the acceptance is coming from? And I think there's general acceptance, quite honestly, around herbal medicine and plant based medicine too. Mm-hmm. But just curious what your perspective is on that. Yeah, yeah. A few things. Uh, one, I think the acceptance comes from the evidence, comes from the results. We are seeing fantastic outcomes. And before this was even a medically approved treatment, it's no secret that you know some world leaders and corporate execs and high achievers have been using mm-hmm. illicit psychedelic medicine, right? Because it wasn't legal or allowed to advance their optimization, creativity, self-exploration. So now it's becoming normalized, I think. And it's it's not just a tool for those who have used it as an enhancer. Now it's a tool to really dive in and help everybody self-explore a little bit better. Control is a very interesting part of this conversation because 
control is something we all struggle with, I think, mm-hmm. right? We all want to be in control. We all want to have a strong mind and not let our mind get the best of us. And what ends up happening most of the time is for those who really want to hold on to control, this gives them a safe feeling and understanding of what life is like when they're not in the driver's seat, when they're not controlling things, and they can have this kind of beautiful passive journey through their subconscious mind. And when that happens, we actually are able to release emotional Mm. tension, conflict. We're able to take those suppressed feelings that maybe we were trying to control before and interact with them and be okay with what's going on. Because that layer of control, now that it's taken away, we realize, you know what, perhaps it was getting in the way of us processing some of those deeper underlying feelings. And then afterwards, you're back to normal, right? So I think the stigma is, is this going to change me? Am I going to come out different? Am I going to have a bad trip? And, you know, that's going to be that way for a week or a month or the rest of my life. And the answer is no. You know, when mm-hmm. you do this in a safe therapeutic way, unless you're abusing the drugs, you come back to normal fairly quickly. And so it's this temporary loss of control, if you want to call it that. And I think that can be quite cathartic to go through. Fascinating. You know, I have this theory from the work I've done over time, we're multidimensional, right? Like we have multiple bodies, the mental body, the physical body, the emotional body, the energetic body. And sometimes our experiences and our wounds get lodged in different places to fix them. As doctors, we've been very trained to deal with chemistry and biology and you know numbers and all this other stuff. And it doesn't take practicing long to understand that that doesn't always yield a result. So this is yeah. interesting that this is like a modality that almost helps you get the mind out of the way so that you can look at these emotional bodies a little bit better. But I think safety is a big concern, right? And doing it in a safe environment, because, you know, I've heard lots of stories from friends where, you know, maybe the husband and wife goes and does psilocybin or does uh, one of these things. And because there's not a guide necessarily, they're doing it more recreationally, right? Like people get sort of they have really weird experiences, some of which have pulled them apart, you know, because people get locked into things. Hi there, superstars. I have an exciting announcement. My new book, The Hormone Shift, Balance Your Body Through Midlife and Menopause is out this October and is available for pre-order right now, wherever books are sold. Most women, let's be honest, have been led to believe that entering midlife means existing at the complete mercy of our mysterious hormones for the next decade. When we take our concerns to our doctors, we're told that our debilitating symptoms are normal or we're fine or it's in our head. I'm here to tell you that fine is not good enough. I want women to thrive through every life stage. So I've devised a hormone reset plan that blends the best of Eastern and Western medicine together to bring your body back into balance, minimize unwanted symptoms, and have you feeling like yourself again. It's not you, it's your hormones. Are you ready to thrive? Go to prh.com backslash the hormone shift to pre-order your copy right now. So how do, you know, if someone's interested in this after listening today and they're like, I think I want to try this, like, what are their options? Like, how do they find someone to facilitate a safe experience where they can understand kind of their emotional body versus one that may just kind of let things out of, you're kind of letting out of a Pandora's box and it's running and and there's no kind of guardrails around it. Yeah. Great question. And 
I admire your work. I really love that we're bringing attention in the medical field to all of these different elements of life because I think there's a hyper-focus in Western medicine on the physical body. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more. There's the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. There's, there's parts of the science that are inexact and hard to define, and, and we need to give those attention as well. And while my work in psychiatry is often helping people become more holistic and understand that, my work in psychedelic medicine is to add more structure and science because yeah. mm-hmm. it can be a little bit too, you know, opposite side of that spectrum. The pendulum swings too far. So that middle ground is to understand with structure and with supervision and with the right preparation, we can channel those energetic fields and those subconscious elements that often we don't access. And when we do, we have the coaching, the insight, the preparation, and the post-session reflection, integration, and therapy to really understand and piece it together. While many have probably advocated for benefits of these medicines when not done under clinical supervision, I would strongly suggest that if anybody wants to try this, to not try it on their own in the kind of rogue fashion, but find an expert, find someone who can help them because it really does make a difference to have a little bit of guidance there. And the options right now, briefly, you know, this ketamine space started 10, 20 years ago and it was infusion clinics. You go into the doctor's office, they put a port in your vein and, you know, they load you up, right? And very seldomly was there mental health integration. It usually started from pain doctors who were treating pain. Mm-hmm. And started to realize, wow, this is really helping mental health. So these infusion clinics still exist. They're very costly, though. And again, many of them don't have therapeutic augmentation. It could be 1000 or 1500 a session. Now, the options out there, you can actually go through your insurance, find someone who is a provider of Spravato, and you can get insurance approval if you suffer from treatment-resistant depression. You have to go to the clinic. It's twice a week for the first month, once a week for the second month, and then once every one or two weeks after that. We've developed a program where you can do this at home. And similarly, once or twice a week, you can have that check-in with yourself, that really enhanced introspection. And we've tried to really lower the cost. It's less than $100 a session um, when doing this. And so those are the legal options right now if you want a doctor to work with you now. A lot of doctors don't understand this, and that's really one of my passions is to help educate physicians on how to do this work. And so we're teaching this in residency programs. There is also Oregon, Colorado, where you can do psilocybin therapy. There are people who have been accredited through government training programs. In other countries, we're seeing, you know, Ibogaine clinics in Mexico. We're seeing all kinds of modalities, obviously the popular jungle ayahuasca retreats and things Mm -hmm. like that. I'm not sure where that's legal. It's, you know, not legal in the U.S. unless there's some kind of exception or religious exemption. But these are the options available, and it's very accessible if we wanted to do ketamine therapy in office or at home. Wow. I just am so fascinated by how how much we're learning, right, about the brain and about the body and how it's interconnected. And, you know, there's just so much more probably, too, that we're going to continue to learn. Well, I wanted to ask you so much more, but we're almost out of time. I know you also talk about the role of nutrition, the role of mindfulness, maybe just touch on that briefly as yeah. an overall like strategy when it comes to psychiatry and depression and mental health. Yeah, I think it's the most important thing when we look at what are the factors that really affect our mental, emotional well-being. I alluded briefly, it's the biological is not just chemical. It's our sleep patterns. It's our nutrition. It's our activity. It's the substances we put in our body, the toxins that are in our foods. And you know, in your work, I'm sure you counsel your patients on 
learning about the preservatives and metals and chemicals that we're actually ingesting in foods that might even appear to be healthy, right? They have the organic tag on it, but still there's food coloring in there that's causing ADHD and cancer and things like that. So I think eliminating toxins is such an important part because the body wants homeostasis, right? The body wants to be balanced. If we can remove the toxins physically, then it's much more easy for our body to maintain that chemical hormonal balance. Beyond the physical side, there's psychological. And when we speak with patients, psychologically, we go through trauma, self-esteem, self-image, thought systems, belief Mm -hmm. systems, thought patterns, and understanding where they came from and being able to shape that you know, is that psychological work. And then one thing we saw in the last few years profoundly because of this whole COVID pandemic was the social and environmental factors that affect us, right? So now you have body, mind, and environment where that is something that still pertains to our medical health. We are not having healthy social rhythms. If we're not having, you know, communion and community, if we're not having healthy social outlets, this affects us. And so we need to bring attention to toxic work environments, toxic relationships, having a clean and happy home life, right? All of this is important work in mental health. And then the fourth category that some people still feel a little bit taboo about is spiritual health. Mm -hmm. I think spiritual health is really, number one, dealing with the understanding of life and death and mortality, aging, illness and injury. How do we all as humans who we know what the ending is going to be, how do we process that? How do we accept and explore death from a place of empowerment, from a place of learning, rather than a place of fear. And when we tap into that spiritual, unexplainable side of life, then we also unearth mystery and awe and all of these questions of why are we here? What's the point of all this? And what's the meaning we assign? And so in our work, it's not to preach any kind of spiritual doctrine, but to allow a platform for self-exploration and then, you know, align with those universal feelings of life is beautiful, life is fragile, where did this come from? And and can I show appreciation, gratitude, and then give back and connect with nature and connect with community? It's a big part of our mental health as well is to tap into that spiritual side. So all of these categories, I think, is what we need to focus on. And as providers, you know, I love the work in Eastern medicine because that's a large focus that we've lost in Western medicine. Uh, And so bringing that all back I'm excited that psychedelic medicine has helped cause a bridge for this, where people are more eager after their first ketamine session. Before, they're usually like, spirituality, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that. Afterwards, they're like, wow, I felt something profound that I can't really explain. Wow. I think words limit us. Yep. Sometimes when we're in therapy and we're trying to put everything into words, we can actually express and share more through energy. And when we're tapping into that part of life that is metaphysical and science can't quite describe, we're actually able to unleash more healing in that way. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. I love it. And I love that there is maybe a glimmer of a scientific movement towards it. That's super exciting for the future. Like my dream, and I don't know how to exactly invent this, but like literally you would walk in and we would get like an energetic, spiritual, you know, emotional, mental, physical assessment. And I have some tools that do that in practice, but like, you know, I never say that they're a hundred percent accurate or academic or anything along those lines, but they're just guides to help us. But I think that's where medicine hopefully will shift to in the future. And I think it'll bring a lot of healing for a lot of people. So fascinating topic. I love it. Thank you so much. And you're in Europe. So thank you so much for, for pausing what I'm assuming is a vacation to come talk to me about this. So it's been a pleasure. 
Yeah. If anyone wants to learn more and wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Our website is betteryoucare.com with just the letter U. And so you can go on and learn more about holistic mental health, ketamine therapy. My socials is just at Dr. Sam Zand, D-R-S-A-M-Z-A-N-D. And I encourage everyone to really check in with themselves, understand their emotional, mental, spiritual circumstances, and be able to just move away from this illness disease state model in in, in mental health and medicine that we're so accustomed to. Realize that none of us are actually sick. None of us are ill. There's nothing wrong with us. Let's learn to love what's right with us. Let's learn to enhance self-exploration and realize if there's areas of our life that need a little bit more attention, okay, well, let's find that balance and harmony. And these are the methods that I think can really help. Ah, fascinating. Well, thank you so much for taking time out today to join us. I really appreciate it. And for everyone else watching and listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, which might be one of my favorites, we will see you guys next time. 